A very good morning to everyone. I'm Paloma Lee. For the perceptive among you, you might notice that I'm not actually recording this from Camberley, but rather from 6,700 miles away in sunny Singapore. The temperature here is currently 33 degrees Celsius. I don't say that to make you feel jealous. I say that because I'm actually really missing the cold weather. It's a real privilege to have the opportunity to speak to you again. John and I miss you all very much and really look forward to the opportunity to be able to come back and visit in person soon. I want to start this morning with a rather sombering story, actually. In 2013, there was an awful coach collision in the French Alps. The coach was carrying resort staff down the mountain when the driver, Maurice Wrightson, realised the brakes had stopped working. He was faced with an unbelievable choice. He was approaching a hairpin bend without the ability to stop, with the prospect of the whole coach hurtling off the side of the mountain. His only alternative was to deliberately smash into some boulders, taking the full force of the collision upon himself. Now this choice meant certain death for him, but it was the only hope of saving the 51 passengers on board. With his mind made up, he ploughed straight into the boulders. Maurice Wrightson was killed. All of the passengers survived. Maurice was determined to die and determined to save. Now, the reason I tell this very upsetting story is to give us just a glimpse into Jesus's mindset in our passage today. As we heard earlier, today is Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus's eyes are fixed firmly on the cross. He's determined to die and determined to save. He's fulfilling prophecies that go back hundreds and even thousands of years before his birth, that God's Messiah would come and suffer in the place of us so that we could be reconciled to God. So with that in mind, let's pray as we look at this passage. Father, thank you that Jesus was determined to die and determined to save. Would you speak to us through your word this morning, Lord, and help us to love you more. Amen. So today's passage from John is set in the early hours of Friday morning in Holy Week. At this point, Jesus is exhausted. He hasn't slept. He's been betrayed by Judas, arrested, interrogated by the high priest in a kangaroo court, and denied by one of his closest friends, Peter. Now he's being taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, because the Jewish leaders want him executed. This passage teaches us how we should respond to Jesus, the one who was determined to die and determined to save. I want to look through three lenses of the characters in our passage, but in reverse order, starting with Barabbas, where we learn that we should recognise Jesus as our substitute, then looking at Pilate, where we learn that we should allow the kingship of Jesus to transform our lives. And then finally, looking at the Jewish leaders, where we learn that we should meet with God wholeheartedly on his terms without legalism. So first, looking at Barabbas. Barabbas reminds us that we should recognise Jesus as our substitute. Now for this, I'm looking at verses 39 and 40 of our passage. So who is Barabbas? Well, we don't actually know that much about him. In all four Gospels, we're told a little bit about him. 
that he took part in an uprising, which verse 40 of our passage says, also that he committed insurrection and murder and was a notorious prisoner. But what we do know from all four Gospels is that Jesus died in the place of Barabbas. When given the choice between two prisoners, the crowds chose to have Barabbas released, the guilty man, and Jesus to be punished, the innocent man. There was a swap. One man had to die and one man was released. Jesus should have been released because he was innocent and Barabbas should have died. But Jesus was Barabbas's substitute. Now this swap is incredibly significant because it foreshadows what Jesus was about to do for all of humanity by dying on the cross for us. Barabbas represents all of us. Sinful humanity, guilty, deserving of death, rebelling against God's perfection. The famous verse in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. It's quite strong language. But what we learn is that our sin means we deserve to be separated from God. But the second half of that same verse in Romans 6 says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died in our place so that we can go free, be released and be saved from the penalty of sin, all by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, not only did Jesus take our sin on himself and die in our place, but he also gave us his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus and not our own sin. As a quick side note to help us remember this, my mum told me recently, which I didn't know before, that the name Barabbas translates as son of the father. So when we remember that we see ourselves in Barabbas, let's also remember that Jesus' death makes us sons and daughters of the Father, children of God. But what does this mean for all of us? Well, first of all, if there's anybody among us who hasn't already accepted Jesus as our saviour, that is absolutely the crucial place to start. Accept that he died in our place so that we, the guilty, could go free and know eternal life and relationship with him. So if that's you today, I really encourage you to really think about that, ask questions, wrestle with that, and accept Jesus as your saviour. And for those of us who have already accepted Jesus as our saviour, I encourage us to use this Holy Week as an opportunity to meditate afresh on that truth, to be reminded of the sacrifice he made in our place, and then come to God in gratitude for that, asking him to help us to love him and to respond with faith. Barabbas reminds us that we should recognise Jesus as our substitute. So moving on to my second point, the character of Pilate. Pilate reminds us that we should allow the kingship of Jesus to transform our lives. Now for this, I'm looking at verses 33 to 38. Pilate's quite a complex character in this story. In verse 37, he acknowledges that Jesus is king. In verse 38, he acknowledges that Jesus is innocent. And then in chapter 9, after our passage, he goes on several more times to say that Jesus is innocent and even tries to free Jesus. But ultimately, he falls short and in the end, he gives up trying. Pilate grasps the truth, but doesn't let that truth transform his life. 
Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he made some incredibly bold claims. He claimed to be a king. He claimed to be the son of God, to be the only way to the Father, to have the power to forgive sins. And when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he claimed that his death would bring about a new covenant between God and his people. These truths should utterly transform our lives. We can't meet Jesus, recognise that he is king, and then carry on with our lives the way they were before. If we do, we've completely missed the point of who Jesus is. So where does Pilate go wrong? Well, Pilate's downfall is in his fear of the people. On the surface, Pilate does have faith in Jesus, as we've said, but there's something fundamental missing. He cares more about what people think of him, about his own reputation, safety, comfort, career, than he cares about God. Pilate's example is in fact reminiscent of what James chapter 2 says about faith without deeds being dead. Pilate's faith that Jesus was indeed a king is dead because in the end he cared more about other things than he did about God. That's quite a sobering statement, I'll say that again. Pilate's faith that Jesus was king is dead because in the end he cared about other things more than he cared about God. For us, we should strive for an integrity and an authenticity in our faith, where the kingship of Jesus really and truly transforms all areas of our lives. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I think Pilate serves as a great reminder to examine our hearts and our lives and see if the kingship of Jesus really is transforming us. Here are a few questions that we could go away and consider. Do our lives look pretty much the same as before we became Christians? Do we care more about what people think than about what God thinks? Are we still doing things in our lives that we know displease God? Are there any particular areas of our lives that we keep from God and won't let him transform? Now, if the answer to any of these questions is yes for us, then I'd really encourage us to go to God in prayer and ask him to remind us what Jesus has done for us and then to transform our lives by that truth. Pilate reminds us that we should allow the kingship of Jesus to transform our lives. So coming to our final point today, looking at the Jewish leaders who remind us that we should meet with God wholeheartedly on his terms and without legalism. And for this, I'm looking at verse 28 to 32. The Jewish leaders demonstrate blatant hypocrisy. In verse 28, we read that they wanted to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness while handing over God's own son to die. Now, under their very legalistic interpretation of some fairly minor Old Testament laws, they would have been considered ceremonially unclean by entering a Gentile house, which would have precluded them from eating the Passover meal. Now, all of this supposedly religious activity is happening while they're trying to secure Jesus's execution. It's quite revealing about their faith. It's legalistic. It's about box ticking. They are at the center of their faith and they have completely missed Jesus and missed everything he was about. As early on as chapter five in John's gospel, we read that the Jewish leaders take offense at Jesus, in particular in an account where he heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And it says that that's when they begin to persecute him. 
What was so offensive about Jesus healing on the Sabbath? Well, for the Jewish leaders who were obsessed with the letter of the law and stuck in their own understanding and unwilling to accept any alternative interpretation, this went against everything they stood for. As early as chapter 7, they start the plot to kill Jesus. Again and again, they hide from God behind supposedly religious activities and their own legalistic rules because they aren't willing to be challenged by God. They aren't willing to change their minds. They aren't willing to accept they might have it wrong. Their relationship with God is about them, not God, which is why they completely miss Jesus. Whereas we're called to put Jesus as the absolute centre of our faith and to be open to whatever he might do in our lives, however uncomfortable that may be. So in terms of applying that to our lives, it's a reminder to examine our hearts and see what or who is at the centre of our faith. Is it us? Is it our understanding or our particular flavour of Christianity or our interpretation or tradition? Do we sometimes slip into a tick box mentality where we say, oh, I go to church, that's enough, or I tithe every now and then? And actually, do we sometimes miss areas where God might be challenging us, convicting us, trying to change our minds? The reminder in the Jewish leaders is that we should be open to whatever God might do, to meet with him wholeheartedly on his terms without any legalism. So finally, drawing all of this together, as we enter Holy Week, let's reconsider how we respond to Jesus in the light of the fact that he was determined to die and determined to save. He stood in the face of pain, humiliation and suffering throughout Holy Week, unflinching and resolute that he would go to the cross for us. I want to finish by reading a few verses from Isaiah chapter 53, which gives the account of the suffering servant. This is a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus's birth about God's coming Messiah. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So in light of Jesus, who was determined to die and determined to save, in light of what he did for us, we should recognise him as our substitute, allow his kingship to transform all areas of our lives and meet with God on his terms wholeheartedly and without legalism. Amen. <laughs>